title of this morning's message is pretty simple, straightforward, not very wordy, eternal life. As we have been looking into chapter 17, or we started chapter 17 a few weeks ago now, Jesus had left the upper room. He was on his way to Gethsemane, and on his way to Gethsemane, he prayed the prayer that we find in this chapter. And as we have already explained to you, this is really the Lord's Prayer that we have here in chapter 17. It is known as also the High Priestly Prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just briefly remind you that we gave you an outline for the passage because we have been in in part one for a couple of times. We are in it again this morning and we'll be in it one more time anyway. But we are in part one, which is where the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for his own personal desires in the first five verses. And then in verses 6 through 19, we will see where he prays, excuse me, for his apostles specifically. And then finally, in the remainder of the passage, 20 through 26, where the Lord Jesus Christ will specifically pray for all who believe on him, or all believers, for those who come to know him. In verses 1, 2, and 4, as we have already covered in two messages, a portion of verses 1 through 5, we saw in verses 1, 2, and 4 that the Lord Jesus Christ's primary desire, and you can look at it, was to glorify the Father. That is his attention. That is the center of his thinking and should be at the center of our thinking, to bring glory to God the Father. And how was he to do that? Well, he mentions two ways in this passage that we have seen. He has already done it in his life, verse 4. He accomplished the work that he had been sent to do. He always had his focus on the Father's will, and he always did the Father's will. So that is one way he brought glory to God the Father. It was his accomplishing everything that he had for him while he was living. He also desires, according to verse 1, that he would bring glory in the hour that is to come, that is in his death, as we have explained that to you. As he is about to go to the cross, his desire is that the Father once again would be glorified, even in his death on the cross, and obviously he would be. And in so doing, would not only he receive glory, but ultimately the Father would receive glory. And we explained to you that the focus of that was that people would understand that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one sent of God. He is the anointed one. He is the one who God from ages past said would come to deliver, to redeem not only Israel but mankind. And for people to recognize that, and as we will see this morning, it is crucial because when people don't recognize that, they really don't know God. So this is part of God's plan for him to go to the cross. And in it, he would be glorified. And in the midst of this going to the cross and praying for himself, for the Father to be glorified again through his life, in the middle of it, he mentions something very, very significant that often we just bounce over. And it's found right in the middle, at the end of verse 2, and the beginning of verse 3, where he says he's been given all authority, so that to all whom you have given me, he may give eternal life, and this is eternal life. So he mentions eternal life there in the verses before us, verse 3 particularly, but also at the end of verse 2. He gives eternal life to whom? 
to all that have been given to him. And last time, if you were with us, and if not, I would just summarize, we spoke about divine election. And I will not spend a lot of time on that this morning other than to mention this. I made it very clear last time that the scriptures speak about divine election and the gospel that we have been studying together, though men may want to avoid this, make it very clear that no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. No one comes to God unless God is working and drawing him. Secondly, all those who have, will come are those who are given to Christ, and everyone who has been given to him will come. So not only do they have to come by God's drawing, but those who God's drawing will come. That's all found, by the way, in John chapter 6. And those who come to him will get eternal life. There is no one left out. Those who God draws will come. Those who come will have eternal life. And there is no way around it. None of them will be lost. But it does bring us to the question, what is eternal life then? What is eternal life? That's something we toss around all the time. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have eternal life. I've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have eternal life. What is it? What is eternal life? We think usually when we hear the concept of eternal life or eternity, we think in terms of length of life. How long is it? It's a quantity. I will live forever. Is that really what eternal life is? Well, there's an aspect of that to it. And we have to be honest with ourselves right in this audience. No one wants to die. People just don't wake up in the morning and say, I hope today I'll die. There are maybe some whose minds have been affected by either medical problems or maybe drugs or whatever it might be, who might be in a lot of pain, who just hope that this is the end of it and so forth. But generally, men and women are not looking forward to death. So we don't want to die. We would like to have our life extended. Most people, if you are at the end of their life, when you're with them and so forth, you hear even the family saying they're fighting, they're fighting it, they're, they're whatever they're doing. And the concept is they just don't want to give up. They don't want to leave the world. They don't want to leave loved ones, whatever the case might be. So we think when we hear the words eternal life, usually in terms of length of life. But let me remind you of a couple of things this morning. First of all, everyone will die, and I say everyone, for those of you that know your Bible well, there are a few exceptions to that. But the scriptures say that it is appointed unto men once to die, or men will die once. That's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And then it says this, then comes the judgment. But generally, people will die. Why? Because of sin. Man was in the Garden of Eden with God, and when sin came in, he had to be taken out of the presence of God, and physical death as well is experienced like spiritual death. And now men will die. The exceptions, for example, is Elijah was taken. We have Enoch who walked with God, and God took him. And then some of those who go in the rapture, and uh, think carefully on that, but some, though that is those who are alive at the time of the rapture, they will also in effect, not die the way we think of normal death. But there will be a transformation. But generally speaking, all men are going to die. So when we're talking about eternal life, you know, we need to realize that all men are going to die as a result of sin. 
Second thing we need to realize is this. Everyone, everyone, turn with me to John chapter 5. Everyone will be resurrected. Now, man may not want to accept that. Man's philosophy or man's intelligence may lead him to the aspect that all he thinks of is that people go into a grave and that is it. You're wrong. Everyone will come out of the graves. In John chapter 5, in verses 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which how many? Does he mean all? I think he does. All who are in the, who are in the tombs, what? Will hear his voice, and then what will happen? And what? Will come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have committed evil to the resurrection of judgment. And that lines up with the book of Hebrews. Disappointed on a man wants to die, then comes a judgment. So everyone who has ever lived, everyone who ever will live, will face, er, number one, death. Secondly, will face a resurrection. Now what does that do for us, and how does that help us? All, listen, all men, generic, all human beings, all people will have eternal something. Get that. You might be sitting in this room and say, well, I don't believe anything this church stands for. I don't believe there is a God. I don't believe. You can do what you want. You will have eternal something. All people who have ever been born into this world, they will die physically, but that is not the end. We just saw that. Everyone will be resurrected. Some will face eternal damnation. They will face ultimately not just hell, but the lake of fire. Some will be resurrected and for all eternity, whatever that is, will face the lake of fire. Some will face eternal life with God in the new heavens and the new earth. But everyone will be one place or the other. And just to spend one moment on it, the body that you now possess and I possess, this physical means that God has given us, has been designed by God. It has been equipped by God for this world that we live in. That's why the body is the way it is. That's why you breathe air. That's why your heart beats and everything else. That's why there's blood flowing through. Your body has been designed to equip you to live in this temporal world. But that is not your final body. The new, the resurrected body, let me put it this simple, will be designed and equipped for eternity. Everyone's body will be designed and equipped for eternity. Those who will be in the lake of fire, it will be a body that will not fade away. It will be a body that will not be limited in any way and will face and be able to feel, stand, and realize all of the separation from God and the pain that it will experience. And the resurrected body for the believer is one that will be fully equipped, not for this world, 
but for the new world, like God's, will not be restricted to time, space, or anything as well, but will also enjoy the presence of God for all eternity. That's a summary, really, of God's eternal plan there. So then, if everyone's going to die, yes, and everyone is going to be resurrected, yes, then what in the world is eternal life? Is it just something that's future? Or is it now? Well, the scripture is going to help us this morning. Let's begin. In verse 3, the first thing we learn about it is that eternal life is to know God. This is eternal life, that they may know you. Eternal life, that concept, the word first of all, uh, has to do, it's rather interesting with some of the things you read on it, but it, when you look back to the roots, and there's a couple of roots to this word uh, that you look up, and it means the, the idea of an abiding age, or it means time, or it can mean constant, or it, and that type of thing, and it has to do with time. Because of that, there's been some translations like what eternal life means is the life of the age to come, but I don't think that's truly representative of all that's spoken of uh, with the concept of eternal life. Others put it as it's a life that's like God's, uh, in effect, because it's not having time or space with it uh, and so forth. It'll be a life like that. But, but really, what is eternal life? I want you to know this right away, and you'll see this this morning. It starts now, and it will continue forever. It starts now, and it continues forever, but it's first of all based upon, according to what the scriptures say, knowing God. It's knowing who God is. If you have eternal life right now, number one, it's because you know God. It's pretty simple. Those who don't know God, and stay with me, those who don't know God do not have eternal life. It's that simple. Now, we need to, I think, as I just looked at this, I don't think it would be fair to just stop right there. We need to understand what we're talking about. Is it possible to understand and to know God. We say we know God. Well, let's understand what the scriptures say. We will, that is when I say we, all of mankind, will, get this, never, we will never fully comprehend or understand God. Never. You say, oh yes, we will in heaven. No, you won't. That's why you'll spend eternity with him. You will never, man will never fully understand, nor fully comprehend God. What do we mean by that? We will never fully comprehend or understand his being, his attributes, his greatness, his powers, his ways, his thoughts, or anything else you want to put in there. They are far beyond our ability now or in eternity. We are finite beings that have been created. He is infinite and he's spirits. He is the creator of all. You want to see a sample of it? Turn with me to Job. Well, yeah, let's go to Job. I'll just give you a couple of quick verses. Job 26. The scriptures say this, by the way. I wanted to go to Psalms, but I'll go back to Job 26. I have a number of, this is only a sample, by the way, for the purposes of the message. Only a sample. 
But uh, Job 26, verse 14, he says, Behold, these are the fringes of his ways, as he talks, and how faint a word we hear of him. But his mighty thunder, who can understand it? Now, you might look at that and say, well, that's just now, but later on we'll understand it. No, Job is talking about, as he's learning about God, we cannot even begin to fathom that. Go with me to chapter 46 of Job. Chapter 46. That's not right. There is no chapter 46. If you find that one, it's good. I think it's 40 that I wanted. Yes, 40. Sometimes I copy my notes. It's good. You knew there was no 46. That's a good thing. Some churches would probably say 46 and they'd be looking and, and think they got it. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fruit finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my mouth, my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer, even twice, and I will add nothing more. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up the loins like a man. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me? that you may be justified? Or do you have the arm like God? Can, and can you thunder with a voice like his, adorn, and so forth and so on? He just goes on and on and on in the passage. And the answer is no. You don't have the answers. Go with me to Psalm 45. Psalm 45. Make it simple. Psalm 45, verse 3. And again, I copied that one wrong. Two in a row. Bad news. Okay. Sorry about that. And I look carefully. I really do. Uh, that one says, Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and in your majesty, and so forth. I wanted more than that. Go to Romans 11. Romans 11 in the New Testament. I have Psalm 139. I would recommend that to you. Psalm 139, it says, God knows everything about us. He knows when we get up. He knows when we get down. He knows everything about us, and it's too wonderful for man. But let's go to Romans 11 for just a moment. Romans 11, verse 33. All the depths and riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forevermore or forever. Amen. What have you got there? You've got a clear pointing in verses 33 to 36 that we cannot fathom. We cannot be able to understand fully the things of God. Let me just give you one more reference. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You've heard me preach on this many times. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What is the point? That fully we cannot comprehend God in his fullness, and we never will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, for time we'll go to verse 9 through 11. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart of man 
all that God, watch this, it hasn't even begun to enter into our heart all that God has prepared for those who love him. I could stop right there. If that's true, then you're never going to be able to comprehend God fully. Verse 10, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Watch verse 11, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Why? Because he is God. And I could give you other verses as well. The point I'm trying to make is this. We talk about knowing God. Eternal life is knowing God. Understand this. You cannot fully comprehend the person of God. One writer I thought put it best, and I'm going to quote that one to you. He put it this way. <clears throat> Not only can we never know everything that there is to know about God, we can never know everything there is to know about, now listen, even one aspect of God's character and work, end quote. What that writer said, for those of you that want to know who it was, it was Walkey that said that. And what he said is, not only can we never comprehend God, we can't even begin to comprehend the fullness of one of his characters, characteristics, and one of his attributes. Why? God is infinite, he's perfect, he's spirit, etc. So he will always be beyond our, listen, so I'm not misunderstood, he will always be beyond our full comprehension even when we're in heaven. That's why for all eternity we will be learning about God. We will always be learning about God because there is always more to learn about God. So what is this then? Well, we need to understand Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 helps us out. Let's go there for a second. Deuteronomy 29, 29. So when he says eternal life, what is it? It's to know God. And you say, all right, well, I know God. Well, in a way, we do, as we will see this morning. But we don't fully comprehend God. And by the way, let me say this because I believe it with all my heart, including myself, sometimes. We are in such a habit as a human being of putting God in a box. We think we've figured him all out. Just talk among Christians. Oh, you have all the answers. You have everything down, right, pattern, and so forth. Let me tell you, the biggest surprises in heaven is going to be how much you don't know about God and how much I don't know about God. We think we always have all the answers. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, he said something significant. Watch this. This was another passage I could have gone to earlier. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. I could stop there. There are some things that belong to God, and we will never know. But watch this. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. Now, I don't want to take it out of context. He's speaking to Israel there, clearly. But there's a principle here I'm trying to get at. God tells us that there's some things that he keeps secret with him, but he has chosen to reveal other things. So it is God's choice to reveal, listen, himself to man. If he didn't do that, we would never know him. How does he reveal himself to man? Let me give you three ways. One is creation around you. Romans clearly says that. Psalm 19 clearly says that. 
God has chosen. And so creation all around the world, there is no one that has an excuse, can look at creation and realize that the power that is there has to come from God, that God's powerful, he's beautiful. There's many attributes that you can learn. Can't learn everything about God, but God's chosen creation. The problem is God twists, I mean, man twists creation, unfortunately, and rather than recognize God, makes his own images. Secondly, God has chosen, as we have been studying, to reveal who he is through the person of Jesus Christ. He came in the flesh, and his responsibility is to manifest, to reveal the Father. And in all that he has done, and in all that he has taught his disciples, and in all that he has preached, he has revealed God to us. So God reveals himself through creation. God reveals himself through his son. And then thirdly, God has chosen, listen carefully, God himself has chosen through special revelation to reveal himself to us, and that is called the Bible. It is called the word of God. It is called the scriptures. It was God that chose that. We would never know him except that he revealed himself in creation, he reveals himself through his son, and he has chosen through supernatural revelations, what it is, through special revelation in the scriptures to reveal himself so that now he can be known. And in John 17, you've got a sample of it. In John 17, verse 3, he says this. He wouldn't say he could be known if he couldn't be. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you. So is it possible to know God? Yes. And if you look at chapter 5 of the same book, in verse 39, it says this. He says, you search the scriptures. Why? Because you think in them you have eternal life. Watch this. It is these that testify of me. You see, the scriptures revealed God and his son and his plan of salvation. The scriptures are absolutely filled with the other side of the coin. I hope you're still with me. We cannot fully comprehend God, but can we know God? Yes. Deuteronomy says that. First Kings says that. The Psalms says that. Let me give you one that many recognize and memorize. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. What am I saying? The other side of the coin is we can know God. Can we fully know God? Can we comprehend all the depths of God? The answer is no. But can we know him? The answer is yes. We can know about him. We can know things about him. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 23, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Now watch verse 24. But... Let him who stands and knows me, notice that, who understands and knows me. That's where you to boast. Let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. What is that? That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So God himself declares that the one that should be rejoicing is the one who understands who I am, the one to, who knows me. And that is filled in the Old Testament. In fact, the book of Ezekiel, many of you are reading through the Bible uh, and so forth in the annual reading. 
And the whole book of Ezekiel is filled with that. He's doing this, he's doing that, he's doing this. Why? That they may know who I am. So it is still possible. Now, is this just a head knowledge? Is it just intellectual knowledge that God exists? Is it facts? No. Back in John chapter 17, we're talking about an experiential knowledge. We're talking about a personal knowledge. We're talking about a personal relationship. And so when he talks about that they might know him, it's not just to know facts about God. I had the response of reading for a purpose. In John chapter 10, you might remember in the concept of the sheep and him being the good shepherd, I know my sheep and my sheep know me and they follow me. So the sheep are able to have that personal relationship with him. That's what we're talking about. There's many people that have knowledge about God, but have no relationship with him. And turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 for a second so you can see this. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. For you, he's talking about believers there who's been raised up and we're to seek the things that are above. Everybody knows verse 1. Look at verse 3. For you have died, watch this, and your life, that's current, is hidden with Christ in God. That's a personal relationship. When Christ, watch this, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That's a summarization of what I'm saying. We have a personal relationship. When he talks about knowing God, what does that mean? Just to have facts? No, we have known him. In fact, it's a pretty strong term that's used in other ways regarding marital relationships in other texts. It's talking about having that close relationship that, that you and God have because you really know his person. You know him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I won't turn there. Many of you know it. It's usually quoted at baptisms by somebody. For the life that I now live, I live by the what? Come on. You don't know it. Ah, go look it up. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. But what it is, the life that I now live, I live by the power of God, by the strength of God. I live it in Christ. It's a relationship. So when he talks about knowing God, it's not just facts. And the rest of verse, seven, uh, verse 3 helps us. Go back to chapter 17. This is eternal life that they may know you. Now watch the next expression to help you with your outline. The what? Only true God. Don't miss that. What is eternal life? It's knowing God. What do you mean knowing God? Knowing the only true God. And I'll get to the next part in a second. But knowing the only true God. That word true means genuine the real God, not just any God. That's so important. What is eternal life? It's not knowing any God. It's knowing the one true God. It's knowing the only God. It's knowing the genuine God. Who is that? The God of the Bible. The God who has chosen to reveal himself. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. What is eternal life? Why do we have it now if you've trusted in Christ? Because you have a personal relationship 
with the one true and only God. In 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, watch this, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, watch this, and eternal life. And eternal life. And I would recommend you read Jeremiah 10.10 on your own. I will save that for you. It says the same thing. That the way we have eternal life is because we know the one true God. And you can't escape the next part of the expression, and Jesus Christ whom he had sent. The reason we have eternal life, and what is it? It's the knowledge of God. There are many people walking this world that have concepts of God, that they are following gods, but they're not following the God of the Bible. They are following Jesus, but they are not following the Jesus of the Bible. They don't really know God. Eternal life is something that starts now, I said that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We have it now, and we will continue to have it for eons of time. And what is it? It's a relationship with God. It's being in his presence. It's knowing him. And eternal life that you have right now is not just longevity. It's a personal relationship with him. And it's growing in the knowledge of God. That's why we ought to add to our faith and so forth. That's why we ought to get to know him. That's why Paul said, my desire is that I understand and know and comprehend the resurrected power of Christ. That I really understand what it means to walk with God, to know the one true living God. Eternal life is a personal relationship. It's knowing him, the only true God. Listen, don't miss this. All other Gods are not the true God. You got that? All other gods. Help me, Pastor Dan. Okay. Listen. The God of the Mormons is not the one true God. The God of the Buddhists is not the one true God. The God of Islam is not the one true God. And you can go on and on and on. Eternal life is having your understand open, understanding open to understand the one true, genuine, and only God. Because he's revealed himself to you. And it's having that personal relationship. All other gods... The gods of the Jehovah Witnesses is not the one true God. Unless it's the God of the Bible, we don't have the relationship with the one true God. We do not have eternal life. Listen carefully to the implications of what I'm saying. You will rub shoulders with people every day that say, I believe in God. 
Do they have eternal life? I've spoken to people and they said, I, I've asked them, is so-and-so saved? Yeah, they're saved. They believe in God. Wait a minute. Eternal life only exists. And salvation and being born again only exists to those who know the one true God. Who know that Jesus Christ, that's what they had to understand. In this prayer, in its context, he wanted to finish the work on the cross. If you don't have Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins as your personal savior, you don't know God. Not the God of the Bible. Because there's not salvation found in anyone else. You see? You can go through all the other gods. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 for just a second. What a privilege it is. If you are born again today, if you've been born from above, what is that? It's not just the head knowledge of God. I personally believe that there are many who make professions of faith that it's gone no further than intellectual knowledge. They know Jesus Christ went to a cross, but there's no personal relationship. They don't understand God. They don't follow God. They don't want to live for God. They have no concept of really what God means, what God's character is like, and they're following another God, not the God of the Bible. And I really believe that's where Matthew falls into place. Have we not done many wonderful works in your name? Do you know how many people are doing the names, things in the name of Christ, in the names of the Holy Spirit today, in the names of God? And what does he say to them? Depart from me, for I never what? knew you. There's no personal relationship. The only ones who have eternal life, everyone's resurrected. Everyone dies. Who are the ones that spend eternity with God? It's the ones that know him now. It's the ones who know that Jesus was the one that was sent of God. The one that know that the only sacrifice for sins is Jesus Christ. The one that knows that it was God who created this universe in six days. The one who knows, and while there may be differences, I'm talking about what it says in the, the scriptures there. And the one who knows and understands how God has revealed himself to man. That's what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 1, quickly. No, now concerning things sacrificed, watch, to idols. Watch what he says. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant and love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to be known. But if anyone loves God, he knows he is known by him. Now watch this. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know, watch this, there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. That doesn't mean that people weren't bowing down to idols. That doesn't mean that people weren't making buildings to idols. That doesn't mean that people don't believe in superstition or idols or whatever. But what it means is there is no entity there. There is nothing behind it. The only thing that there is when you go all the way down to verse 8 is God, the one true God. And so what is eternal life? Jesus Christ came to die on the cross to give eternal life. Yes, forgiveness of sins. There's a lot that comes with it, but it's the knowledge of God. So eternal life is knowing the one true God and his son, 
Jesus Christ, whom he had sent. We have it now, and we will have it for all eternity. Will we ever know the full depths of God? No, we will be growing in all eternity, learning about our great God. We would never, man's mind would never come up with a solution to our sin by saying a sacrifice on the cross of a sinless one who's got to be God himself. But that was part of God's eternal plan. Now, very quickly, and you're going to have to get this off the tape because I'll fly. I, eternal life is used many, many places, but just in God's, John's gospel, I want you to know that it's used over and over again. I chose to wait till now because he says this is eternal life. The first place it appeared was John 3.15, which I've already quoted. Listen, eternal life has a lot of benefits to it. There's a lot of things that come with it. But what I'm trying to get across to you, he summarizes it here. It's really eternal life is knowing God. It isn't just duration. It's a relationship that we have with the one true God. And the ones that enjoy that relationship are the ones that have eternal life. Does it mean longevity of life and never perishing? That's John 3, 15 and 16. Yes. He says, I give to them eternal life and they will never perish. That's part of it. We never get lost. John 3, 36 says it's life. John 4, verse 14 says, we will never thirst again because he will give us water that comes to everlasting life. John chapter 4, verse 36 says, eternal life is fruit. Eternal life is rejoicing in the one true God. According to chapter 5, verse 24 of John, eternal life is we will not come into judgment. Those who have eternal life, those who have this relationship with the one true God and Jesus Christ, his son, will not face judgment. That's why Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation. After death, there's going to be a judgment. Those who truly know him will not face it. John chapter 6, verse 27 says eternal life is to be found in Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verse 40 says eternal life is to be raised up personally by Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verse 47 says eternal life is faith in Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verse 54 says it's a personal relationship. That's what eternal life is. John chapter 10, verse 28 says we will, again, never perish. John chapter 12, verse 25, it says the evidence of eternal life is that we hate this life and love the new life that we have with Christ. What a challenge that is to professing believers. What eternal life is, according to John chapter 12, verse 50, this is just John alone, is eternal life is life that was revealed by God himself in the person of his son. That's what we're finding in chapter 17. So what is eternal life? Is it that we will live forever? Yes. Is it that we will live forever in the person of God, in the new heavens and the new earth? Yes. But it's more than that. It's a relationship. It's a knowledge. It's not just a head knowledge. It's an intimate relationship with the one true God of the universe as revealed in scripture, as revealed by the person of Christ, as revealed in creation. 
And what has happened is God has chosen to reveal some of himself to us. And throughout eternity, he will continue to reveal himself to us as we enjoy his presence, as we serve him, as we worship with him. And how long will it take us to get to know him? We will never fully get to know him. That's what we said. We will be learning about him for all eternity. And you say, that's all heaven is about? The more you know about God, the more you fully understand life. The more you know about God, the more you'll fully understand your eternity with him. The more you'll enjoy everything that he's provided for you in the new heavens, in the new earth. And as you saw this morning, we can't even begin to comprehend what God has prepared for us. Because God's desire is to share that with those who really know him and love him because he loved us first. So it's a dynamite thing that God prays for through the person of Jesus Christ right here. He says that he has authority over all flesh, and to all that are given to him, he gives, he may give eternal life, and this is it. Eternal life is the knowledge of God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he had sent. Do you have that this morning? That's why it starts now. A true believer is one who has come to the knowledge that Jesus Christ has died for our sins, that he's the only one that God sent, that he is God in the flesh, and has come to understand that. That's the knowledge of God. And has a personal relationship because they by faith have trusted in him. And God has given eternal life, meaning not just quantity, but a quality of life that knows the one true living God. If you know God, that's why you can tell others about him. Those who don't know the one true God, they may be worshiping gods. They may be worshiping a God, but they have no relationship with the one true God. And I guarantee you this on the authority of God's word, no matter what they say, they don't have eternal life. They will not spend eternity with God. They will die. They will live forever. That is the saddest thing. If you ever want to look at it on your own, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The saddest thing to me is when they get carried away from the presence of God for all eternity. And they will feel it because they will be given a body that's equipped for it. If you're saved this morning and partook of communion, you ought to thank God and praise God that by his grace he opened your understanding so that you understand the one true God. Do we fully know him? No. Do we know the God of the Bible is revealed by God? Yes, and that's why you've trusted in his son. You have the gift of eternal life. Now we're to go preach the gospel so that others might come to that knowledge. They need to hear that Jesus Christ glorified the Father in going to the cross and provided forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life, of truly knowing the one true God. If you haven't trusted in him, it's our heart's desire that you come to believe on him. That's the only way you'll have forgiveness of sins. It's the only provision that God has provided, and it's the only way to have eternal life. Life not eternal damnation. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you that your Son, Jesus Christ, has revealed you to us. He's revealed your plan. He's given us an understanding of what it is to know the one true God and who you are and what you're like. Father, man, through his own mind and imagination, so often distorts the one true, genuine, only God. But Father, in your grace, 
you've had recorded into your word the revelation of who you are and what we need to know. Thank you and praise you that many in this auditorium have come to trust in Jesus Christ, have accepted your plan, have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and have a true knowledge of the one true living God. And as a result, will live, not die, not be condemned, will not face condemnation, but will live with you forever and ever. Thank you now that we experience it right here and now on the earth in knowing the one true God and in living for him. But Father, we're well aware that all around us there are many who are without Christ, who are facing an eternity of damnation if they don't come to trust in Christ. And they need to understand the one true God of the Bible and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I pray that you'd help us to share the word of God with them that they might understand that. And by your grace, you might call them to your son that they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.